0: Hi, this is Deborah Holdship, editor of Michigan Today. To complement Kim Clark's beautifully drawn editorial portrait of Michigan's first female student, Madeline Stockwell, I decided to interview an author and professor who's an expert on women in higher education. Andrea Turpin is an associate professor of history at Baylor University. She recently spoke at U of M's Bentley Historical Library about some of the topics in her book gender, religion, and the changing purposes of American higher education. She covers the years 1837 to 1917, a time when women first stepped onto college campuses as actual students. Listen in as Andrea sheds light on the University of Michigan's transition to co-education in 1870. There are a lot of things at play you might not realize.
1: Here's Andrea. At the time that Michigan was founded, you know colleges traditionally served both the church and the state, and state universities did too, they just reversed the emphasis, oh, right? Okay. So Michigan oh, okay. served the state and the church. Traditionally, colleges had prepared male students for one of four professions. So being a minister, being a lawyer, being a doctor, or just being an educated gentleman um, who would typically be a local leader in politics okay. or business? Mm-hmm. So, one of the reasons women didn't go to college uh, was that they weren't going to do those things at that time. And so, one you know, of the things that I talk about in the book is why did that change? Why did women start going to college? So, the book is called A New Moral Vision
0: Gender, Religion, and the Changing Purposes of American Higher Education. 1837 to <laughs> 1917.
1: So I want to know about
0: the significance of that time period and why yes. you chose it to to do your study.
1: Yes, so Partly, I liked ending in sevens both times, <laughs> right? Uh, but 1837 is the first year of coeducation in the United States, and as far as I know, the world. Mm. And it took place in neighboring Ohio, right, at Oberlin College. Yay,
0: Oberlin. Uh huh.
1: So, and Michigan was not that far behind um, in terms of its original debates in 1858, mm-hmm. but then was a bit further behind in, in actually doing coeducation in 1870. Um, so that's the year that. That's why 1837. Also, a parallel thing happened in 1837. Mount Holyoke opened, and it was sort of the first pre-college in a single-sex setting for women, not quite collegiate education yet, but the highest available. Okay. Um, And then 1917, the end of World War I, by which time sort of our modern structure of higher education was in place.
0: There was, I came across this sentence that, and I can't remember if it's from you or from one of the reviews I read, but no college environment is morally neutral. And you, I wrote
1: that. <laughs> yes, I'm so intrigued by that. So one of the things that I explore in my work as I'm looking at why different institutions did or didn't admit women and how they understood what they were doing is that that decision and then also what they trained men and women to do and how, what they communicated to students about how they should mm-hmm. develop as people and how they should serve after they graduate mm-hmm. uh, was very much tied to an institution's understanding of what higher education is for, as well as its vision of what a good American society looks like and how you make positive social change. Okay, And so some institutions understood positive social change as coming from the ground up and others from the top down. That had to do with whether they admitted women, um, whether it had to do with actually religious conversion, getting a bunch of people right with God, then they get a new heart, and then they get right with each other, or if it works in reverse, you get right with other people, and that's what makes you right with God. All of these things, right, are, are a vision of what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good community, and what education has to do with that. And so where I was concluding at the end is that different institutions take different tax on this, but they're all taking a tax. So even an institution that says all we do Right, is provide education for people to do whatever they want, then they're actually sending a message to students and it might be that their education does not give them any moral obligation to give back to their community. They can just use it to make money for themselves. So even when we think we're being neutral, we're communicating something to students. Obviously, I'd like to focus
0: on mm-hmm. Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend, President Tappan, mm-hmm. not really keen mm-hmm. on admitting yep. the women, yep. not as progressive as the president at Oberlin, apparently, who found it all to be a win-win situation, I guess, mm-hmm. to have women on his campus. But during the, that early time, women were attempting to get into school here, mm-hmm. and they were just getting shot down. So.
1: so a lot of this had to do with how you think positive social change happens. So Tappan did think right, that God has a certain order and that men do this and women do this, but Oberlin was founded by a bunch of evangelical Protestants who thought that to get the message out, um, people needed to convert, so you need to train as many women as men so that more people would get the message out. So they actually also took a biblical reason for mm-hmm. women's education and Tappan was against. And the difference was how they thought change occurred. Right. And what made a good society. Once our friend Mr. Angel came Mm -hmm. aboard. His vision was that an institution is just and basically serves God and serves the state if it provides education to those who are able but doesn't make any further distinctions. So Michigan was free right at Mm -hmm. the time, except student expenses were a real thing. So, I mean, if you were truly poor, it could be rough. Mm -hmm. But the tuition was free if you could get in. Right, and it's available to men and to women. Uh, they, Michigan had already admitted a few black students um, would do so as continuing as well, though that wasn't its focus as much as being coeducational and admitting poorer students. So he thought that it was just, it was like God who freely gives gifts to all people for the state university to freely give gifts to all people and to train everybody to be their best, to go back and serve the public good. By the time you hit the 1870s, the Michigan voters say, we want our daughters to have access to this institution, Mm -hmm. and it's a state institution. So finally, the state's like, fine. And they do it without spending any additional money. So in the 1850s, they said, we can't do it because it would be too expensive. By 1870, there was enough demand that they're like, sure, but they (laughs) don't have boarding houses with wise and pious matrons they don't you know Mm -hmm. um, have any regulations about when students come in or go and so from about 1870 to 1890 michigan had no regulation of men and women and how they related at all they sometimes boarded in the same boarding houses in the towns this is way this is like 1960s 70s -hmm. as opposed to 1950s when most colleges had regulations about men and women's hours if they had dorms Mm -hmm. on campus. President Angel and his successor, President Hutchins, right together Mm -hmm. they served for 50 years, and both of them had a relatively sexless vision of how Michigan graduates could serve their communities. So when at sort of a national level, national organizations on campus began to shift in a direction of having very uh, sex-specific moral messages about what you should do with your education, that began to affect Michigan students too. And there's a second reason, and I hate to diss on Greek life, but fraternities got a lot of power by 1890. And so male fraternities at that point had so much power, they began to control student extracurricular organizations. And from 1870 to 1890, women and men served relatively in proportion with their respective numbers in the student population in terms of officer roles and all sorts of things, religious organizations, literary Mm -hmm. societies, uh, class government, in the 1890s fraternities took it over and women were sort of kicked out of mainstream social life in the university so they began to form partly by necessity and partly by choice a separate culture of women's organizations and those organizations um, partly because of a shift in thinking um, that was somewhat based in a, a shift in how religion was understood at the time that separate culture began to try to carve out a very special place for college educated women in society after they graduated. They would—they were urged to go into social service professions like uh, social work or settlement houses where you move in with the urban poor and you learn from them and you help them solve their problems. And the belief was that a college educated woman uniquely combined head and heart, that women had this, this more emotive side, mm-hmm. and that that Gave them a special place in fixing some of the problems that were arising in the United States from industrialization and urbanization. And this was good for women in one sense. It gave them a vision of what they could do with their education besides being a mother or being a teacher, which Mm -hmm. were the accepted things up till then. But it was bad in another sense in that it channeled them into sort of a narrow. Set of occupations, and it sort of pressured men not to try these new occupations because they were seen as feminine more and to just do volunteer work on the side.
0: So, do you know much about our Madeline Stockwell who came here? I in do 1870? know a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, talk a little bit about her and why she, you know, just made such a difference.
1: To me, one of the interesting things about Michigan's story is that the very first, <laughs> that there was a first woman, <laughs> right, to attend rather than first women. Yes. Right. So can you imagine being the sole woman no. you know, in a, a class? Not just in a class. I've done that. I've been the sole woman in a class, <laughs> um, but in an entire institution. I mean, you really have to have the pioneers, right? the people who are it's worth it to them, and they have the, the personality or the support mm-hmm. system, right, to do it even when they don't have other people like them there. Eliza Mosher
0: then mm-hmm. also came mm-hmm. through, becoming the first dean of women, and, mm-hmm. and at her own insistence, the first female professor. Yes, and Angel
1: did support that as well. So you know? think- and so she taught both men and women, which so he did not, you know, say you just teach health to the women. Mm-hmm. Right? Eliza Mosher, as most people at Michigan know, had an MD. <laughs> Right, So she came on as the first female professor and a doctor, mm-hmm. but the medical school wouldn't take her. They wouldn't appoint her because they were unwilling to appoint a woman. So as a doctor, she was appointed to the literary department, <laughs> though she taught health to both male and female students, which is kind of crazy. The patience
0: these women had to <laughs> display. All right, so what you said you
1: were speaking to some students yesterday. Mm-hmm. and
0: what, what are you finding students are most interested in
1: about your work? the history of higher education is useful for all students because it helps them reflect on why am I here? You know, what am I doing? Oftentimes in the United States today, we go to college because it's the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. In colonial America, 1% of men went to college. It was not the thing you did. And so understanding you know what has changed in American culture mm-hmm. uh, can help students, I think, be reflective on how they want to use their education and how they can use it to serve others
0: interesting stuff yes i hope you make it over to heritage.umich.edu to read kim's complete story about madeline stockwell the piece i've got here is just a teaser thank you so much for listening you can find listen in michigan under the podcast tab at michigan or find us and subscribe at spotify google play music itunes TuneIn, and stitcher catch you next time and as always go blue